All right, I'm going to do something backwards. I'm going to record the ending first. Three, two, one. And I'm, all, I'm making this all up. Three, two, one. And with that, we now have episode 14 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. And once again, this is your host, Sean. Thank you for uh, downloading or streaming, however you're listening. And this is the first ever summer episode of this podcast. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy summer. Or maybe listening to this during your busy summer. I don't know. As for me, wow, I'm recording this um, the day after I had a very kind of busy summer Saturday. Had uh, Interestingly, I haven't really been to the beach yet, though. That's uh, interesting. I live uh, walking distance from Lake Michigan and still haven't been there, but I am going after I record this episode. Ha ha. But the night before I'm recording this, my wife and I did go to a uh, place of miniature golf. We love playing miniature golf. And we went to a place called Novelty Golf and Games that's in Lincolnwood, Illinois, literally across the street from Chicago. And uh, we go there every summer, except we haven't been going there as frequently as we should be. It's uh, one of those old places. It's been around forever. It's got uh, yellow light bulbs strung across the course. And the sound system is a series of uh, little bullhorn type of speakers. It's really awesome. That's what you got. You got to have a rustic miniature golf course. I mean, yeah, some of the modern ones are fine. But man, to really have the heart of it, you need kind of the rickety style stuff. The stuff that's been around for a long time. You need a, something with a windmill at least or something resembling a windmill. But it's a great place, and it's a very popular place. I don't think they're going anywhere anytime. They've been around forever, and they're probably going to continue to be around forever. And uh, afterwards, my wife and I got some ice cream at a neighborhood place that we go to a couple of times a year. And uh, by the way, if any of you work for an ice cream parlor or own an ice cream shop or whatever, I got to let this out because it's very important there are three things that you should know about working at an ice cream joint or running an ice cream joint. Number one, there's no such thing as sherbet. It is S-H-E-R-B-E-T, sherbet, not sherbet. Second, what is the proper way to apply sprinkles to an ice cream cone? I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. Okay, if your answer is take a scoop of sprinkles and pour it over the ice cream cone, you're dead wrong. Dead wrong. That, that It's just a sloppy way of doing it. You don't get good sprinkle coverage. Here's what you're supposed to do. Take a piece of wax paper or parchment paper or something and pour some sprinkles onto the paper. And then you take the ice cream cone that already has the scoop of ice cream in it, of course and you roll the ice cream into the sprinkles. So that way, you're basically kind of digging the sprinkles into the ice cream. You get good sprinkle coverage, and you don't have sprinkles falling all over the place. And the thing is, sprinkle coverage is important because it keeps ice cream from dripping off and all over the place. There's still going to be some drippage, sure, but at least if you apply the sprinkles this way, it minimizes it. And third, and most importantly, 
If you have items on the menus, like certain types of sundaes and ice cream combinations that tells you ingredient by ingredient what is on it, when the customer asks for that item, don't ask the customer every single ingredient. Oh, what kind of ice cream? Uh, the kind of ice cream that is listed on the menu as part of this item. Uh, what do you want on it? Um, I want what is on the menu. If you're going to ask me what I want on it, why do you even have a menu item for it? I just had to vent that. <laughs> Thankfully, lately, the places I've been going to in the past year, they've actually been much better at that, where they, they'll maybe ask you something like, if it's something that people commonly request, they'll say, uh, do you want the nuts on that? Because a lot of people don't like nuts on their ice cream. I'm kind of half and half. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So today... When I record this, it's actually a pretty cool day. It turned off the air conditioning, which is great because um, last night I got my electric bill that's uh, three digits long, and uh, usually it's not that big uh, this early in the season. So it, it's cool out. It, we we had a big temperature drop, and so my wife and I said, you know what, let's turn off that air conditioning. It's like, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. But um, that's what's been going on with me. And, um, I've had for a long time, the Atari 2600 star castle in my collection, the homebrew. And I finally played that sucker. So I played that. I played asteroids deluxe for the Atari 7,800 high score club on Atari age. And haha, at the very last second, I managed to get in and squeeze out over 60,000 points uh, and of course, uh, yeah, I won that round, but I think, uh, Oyama family, Wilson Oyama, I think he basically beat everybody's pants off overall in the entire season. So, uh, yeah, a lot of good that did me, but it was still a lot of fun. I love doing that. I love doing that. I just wish I had time to do it more frequently than I actually do. And a couple of things I do want to address about the previous episode when I talked about Asteroids Deluxe. One thing I didn't mention is that even though Asteroids Deluxe and Space Duel, even though Bob DiCrescenzo worked to match the the sounds in the 7800 versions to the sounds of their arcade equivalents, one thing I noticed he didn't do, the bonus sound. And the thing is, I'm kind of jumping a little bit ahead of myself when I say this. In Asteroids Deluxe and Space Duel, in the arcade versions, when you get a bonus life, there's like a series of high-pitched beeps that you'll hear. On the 7800 versions of each... Bob actually just left in the little four-note bonus life melody that existed from the original 7800 Asteroids. Personally, I actually like that better. It sounds more advanced and a lot less primitive. So I, that's what I had to say about that. Oh, and the other thing. I totally forgot that the default settings on the Arcade Asteroids Deluxe have you set up with only two lives. I totally forgot about that because when I was playing Asteroids Deluxe for the prior episode and also for the high score club on Atari age, I was just kicking it. I was getting in the 60,000s and everything. And this was expert level. And I actually posted this on Atari age. I said, man, with all this stuff I'm doing, I better freaking rule at Asteroids Deluxe the next time I play the arcade version of it. Well, I've played it since, and I totally forgot you only get two lives. And I was like, oh, man, is this right? And I looked it up, and sure enough, the default settings, according to the manual, is two lives. That's what it comes with from the factory. You want more, you got to change the dip switches. But I was like, oh, man. Because I was like, wait a minute, did I lose three already? It's like, no, it's set for two. Goodness sakes. <laughs> 
Also, speaking of Asteroids Deluxe, I wanted to address feedback about Asteroids Deluxe from a great offender. Um, another great show, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, I really enjoy how you step us through the development of these games the way you do. It makes it so much more interesting. These are my quick comments on Asteroids Deluxe, starting with some of what could be considered some negatives. Am I the only one who thinks the firing sound is slightly too high-pitched? <laughs> At least on my CRT TV, it looks like even when you press fire button just once, two bullets appear to shoot out, which is weird. Is it just my setup? Not sure. Looks like the star field that was present in the 7800 asteroids was removed, but that doesn't bother me too much. I understand it cannot look exactly like the arcade version's playfield due to the system's graphical limitations. Unlike Atari 2600 asteroids, upon starting a new level, the boulders move in a more randomized fashion. This is a huge plus, making it more like the arcade. The difficulty also ramps up quickly. Although it's probably just right, I feel like the thrust is a tad bit too aggressive. Activating shields, I noticed if you play with the traditional CX-40 joystick, you can press back on the joystick to activate the shields, since there is not a second button. When using the Ed Ladin Super Twin 78 or the Pac-In controller CX-24, you have to use button 2 for shields. If this bothers anyone, I figured out if you power on the 7800 with a CX-40 first, then hot-swap the joystick out for either of the other of those two other joysticks, pressing back on the joystick will then also activate the shields. Oh, interesting. I also wanted to point out that while the shields are activated, you can still rotate your ship and the thrust also works. That's right, I forgot about that. This helps you gain control while being bounced around the map. Excellent, excellent point. Great to know. You know there is this technique that people use to attain really high scores in arcade asteroids. You simply destroy all the boulders except for one, then destroy the saucers one at a time as they reappear. I think this is sort of cheating, but I digress. This whole paragraph is a digression. Anyway, I tried this technique with Asteroids Deluxe, and maybe I just don't have the skills, but I usually either die right away from being hit by the saucer, or it ends up destroying the last boulder, starting a new level. Even with all my minor nitpicks aside, Atari 7800 Asteroids Deluxe is a really fun game to play, especially with all the various gameplay options. I love the fact that you can play either as a team, against one another on the same screen, or take turns playing against each other. In my opinion, Asteroids Deluxe is a must-have game for the Atari 7800 fan. And if you have not played Atari 2600 Space Rocks, you must check it out. While reviewing Asteroids Deluxe, I dug out Space Rocks and popped it in to check it out again. It is simply amazing and plays a lot like Asteroids Deluxe, with the exception being that the shields were implemented, the boulders go through your ship. It was programmed by Daryl Spice Jr., and it is an amazing piece of work for the 2600. The sound effects were programmed by Bob DiCrescenzo and are great. The rotation of the boulders seem to have more animation frames, and the explosions are very well done. And uh, yeah, thank you, Great Offender. That was uh, great to hear from you there. And I just want to uh, address a few of your points here. And uh, firing sound high pitch. You know, I never thought of that, but I guess you could be right there. And I think I have noticed sometimes that not just Asteroids Deluxe, but a lot of games that shoot in the same kind of manner kind of makes you think there are two bullets coming out, but they're really just one. Uh, it's, I don't think it's just you. I don't think it's just you. And about the Starfield present 7800 asteroids being removed, um, 
thing is, I don't think that Starfield existed in Asteroids Deluxe. I think that was just a, an extra feature they put in the 7800 Asteroids, kind of like how they have the uh, 3D-ish rotating Asteroids. I think it was just a special feature. Yeah, regarding that hot swapping the controllers, wow. I don't know. Is it, is, isn't that kind of risky? I mean, I don't see why it would be because just basically reading something, it's not like you're actually sending an electrical charge. I don't know. I'm not the biggest electronics genius in the world, but uh, that's interesting. It's something I never really thought of before. But uh, And going on your point about uh, attaining high scores in the arcade asteroids by basically just waiting for the saucer to appear, yeah, at least the folks at Twin Galaxies consider that cheating because it is not allowed if you submit a high score attempt to Twin Galaxies. They will reject your attempt if they think you're doing that. And again, I think that's the whole point of Asteroids Deluxe with the killer satellite that, uh, or, or the Death Star, whatever you want to call it. I think they did that to prevent that little point pressing technique. But, but I do want to say this. I did find a point pressing technique, at least in the 7800 Asteroids Deluxe. I haven't tried it in the arcade version. But if there are nothing more than two asteroids on the screen, like two small asteroids, once you destroy the killer satellite and all its smaller parts, another one will reemerge. So basically just keep blasting those things away as much as you can. Of course, it means you also have to dodge the uh, flying saucers and things, which can be kind of risky. But that's a good way to crank up your score fairly early on if you want to try that. And I totally agree with you about the Atari 2600 Space Rocks. That is an amazing thing. And I, th I seem to remember in Space Rocks, they actually have the asteroids going in all directions. But in the original Atari 2600 asteroids, they only go kind of vertically and kind of very gradually move over horizontally. But none of the asteroids actually move horizontally. They're all moving vertically. So that's why it's a little bit easier to manage than the arcade version. But uh, yeah, thanks again for that feedback, Great Offenders. Great hearing from you. And feedback about Asteroids Deluxe from Toilet Tunes. And this was from last episode. I actually read this feedback. There's one thing I forgot to address. Um, he said, sometimes when you respawn, you're immediately killed by another asteroid. Well, thing is, you got to be really, really careful about that. I mean, with the Asteroids games, at least Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe and Space Duel, when your ship respawns, yeah, it might be right in the middle of a bunch of asteroids, but your ship is kind of ghosted until either you do something with the control panel, like you fire or move your ship or whatever, then suddenly you're back into play. But you're not actually into play until you do that or until several seconds goes by. Goes by? Go by? No, several seconds go by. There we go. That's better. So, yeah, if it looks like you're being respawned right when you're about to be killed, do not touch anything. Just wait for everything to pass and just be patient, you know, and that should help you out a little bit. So hopefully that's uh, something right there to keep in mind. But something else to keep in mind is, hey, I got a podcast to do and uh, Space Duel isn't going to talk about itself. So let's get on with the show. <laughs> Let's talk about the game Space Duel. Space Duel, I like to say, is the asteroids equivalent to what Super Pac-Man was to Pac-Man, and that Space Duel was Atari's original intended sequel to Asteroids. 
Rick Maurer, whose name might be familiar to Atari 2600 fans because he worked on both Maze Craze and Space Invaders for that console, began the design and development, but that development was stopped when it was found that the original Asteroids was too easy, so there was a demand for a new version of Asteroids, a little bit more challenging, to hurry up and be produced really quickly. So what happened? The team at Atari stopped work on Space Duel and rushed out a new Asteroids game called Asteroids Deluxe, which unfortunately wasn't a success. So when it turned out that Asteroids Deluxe tanked, Atari resumed work on Space Duel. The program and development were taken over by Dave Shepard, who previously worked on Asteroids Deluxe. Owen Rubin, who designed the Volcano and Battlezone, by the way, he has a really excellent website. I'll link to that in the show notes. And Steve Calfey also worked on Space Duel. The game was field tested July 31st, 1981, and officially released in February 1982. And just uh, some random tidbits about Space Duel itself. Space Duel is Atari's only simultaneous multiplayer vector game. That is the only vector game Atari produced in which two players can play at the same time, as opposed to just taking turns. Another fun fact about Space Duel, very commonly known Space Duel lore, on the cover of the album It's Hard by The Who, their final album before their first breakup, there is a boy playing the arcade Space Duel in the background, and the reason that that is there is the child is supposed to represent a modern version of The Who's famous Tommy character, but instead of pinball, he's playing a more modern thing, a video game. So that's why that's there. Personally, I much prefer Who's Next over It's Hard. In fact, I don't like any of the uh, Kenny Jones era. The Who. Well, actually, Eminence Front, which is also on It's Hard, by the way. Eminence Front's a cool tune, but that's just about it. Give me Keith Moon or nobody else. You know what? I'm, I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. Let me get back to um, Space Duel. Um, as for the actual game itself, the control panel is similar to that of Asteroids Deluxe. In that, to control your ship, there's a button to rotate left, a button to rotate right, a button to activate your shield, a button to thrust, and a button to fire. There are two sets of buttons, one for player one, one for player two. And what's interesting is that player one's buttons are on the right side of the cabinet, and they're in red. And player two's buttons, obviously, would have to be on the left by default, and uh, they are blue. Or are they green? Hold on a sec. They are green. They are green. They're not blue. Sorry about that. Anyway, just as with Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe, you control a ship whose job is to destroy objects on the screen by rotating, thrusting, and shooting. You'll have to dodge objects and enemy fire from the saucers. And one thing about Space Duel that's different from the previous Asteroids games is that you can control either a fighter ship or a space station. What's the space station, you ask? Well, the space station is two fighter ships tethered together by what they call a fuse. And if you play in tethered mode, you can actually withstand two collisions or bullets from a saucer before you lose a life instead of the usual one. You can play the tethered space station version in either a one-player or two-player game, and if it's a one-player tethered game, player one controls both ships at the same time. And of course, in a two-player tethered game, each player controls his or her own separate ship. 
Unlike also with Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe, your fighter ship does not start at the middle of the screen, but it's a little bit off-center. And this time your job isn't necessarily to destroy asteroids, but up to seven different objects, which are commonly called um, objects of different geometric shapes. And as with Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe, what you shoot starts out large, and a large object breaks into two medium-sized objects, and a medium-sized object breaks into two small objects. Now, according to the arcade manual, the objects are as follows. There's a spinner, which first shows up in the very first round. There's a octahedron, that first appears in the second round. There's a cube, which first appears in the fourth round. There's a, well, they call it a pentagon, but it's really a 3D shape. It's uh uh, I guess a 3D pentagon, if you will, but that shows up in the seventh round. In the tenth round, the object is called a book. There is an eight-pointed star in the thirteenth round, and there is a hexagon in the sixteenth round. Um, uh, guess what? I don't think I've um, ever seen the, um, say, hexagon. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm not very good at this game, so I've never s seen it in my own games, at least. In addition to these geometric shapes, there are space mines, and the space mines look like plus signs. There's one space mine in the first wave, two in the second, three in the third, four in the fourth, five in the fifth, and in the sixth round, there are five space mines. Yep, it tops out at five space mines. And um, you probably don't want to waste your time shooting at the space mines because shooting at them just makes them change colors and it also makes them more aggressive. Uh, little hint, you don't want to touch the space mines. When a space mine turns white, that's an indication that the next shot will actually make it disappear. Except that when it disappears, it regenerates immediately and will be more aggressive. So really it's probably a better idea to just avoid the space mines altogether. And as with the prior games in the asteroids lineage, there are saucers and satellites that appear based on how long the wave has been going on, how many objects are left on the screen, and of course what wave you're on. The higher the wave, the earlier the saucers and satellites come out. And, uh, Owen Rubin discusses that in his website and it basically agrees with it. He doesn't get any more specifics, so there aren't going to be any trade secrets, but still visit that website. Oh, by the way, sometimes you'll see a red and a green saucer come out as a team, and when they do that, they're constantly kind of exchanging laser fire between each other, and what they're trying to do is capture you in the crossfire, so watch out for that. And periodically, five-pointed stars appear near the end of a bonus round, and sometimes during a regular round. The stars travel across the screen in a straight line, but if they get to the edge of the screen, they become fuzzballs. The later you are in the game, the more likely the fuzzballs are to start traveling in your direction, and basically get rid of the stars and fuzzballs as soon as you possibly can. Now, I mentioned there's a bonus round in Space Duel. What happens is when you destroy every object, there's a bonus round that comes up. And what happens is stars and sparks are going to attack your ship. And um, the crazy thing about this being a bonus round, this is a rare instance in which you can actually lose a life during the bonus round. Yep, you lose a life during a bonus round, it counts toward your reserve ships. So good luck with that. I think Zookeeper does that too. I don't know. Oh, well. But yeah, it's 
very rare that a game with a bonus round actually causes you to lose a ship during the bonus round. So that's a little bit about Space Duel, at least as it is in the arcades. So uh, let's check out the Atari 7800 version. If you heard the previous episode of this podcast in which I talked about Asteroids Deluxe and I discussed the Atari 7800 development process that Bob DiCrescenzo went through, you heard me mention that he was planning to do Space Duel. Well, the first introduction of Space Duel to the 7800 world was on July 18th, 2007, when Bob posted a screen cap from his work in progress, in which he says, you know what, I'm going to keep this game in 164 color mode because I need all of the colors. Uh, that's, I, I, I don't quite understand 100% what that all means, but I think it's about half the resolution of the higher res games that use what they call 320 mode. But in the screenshot, there are a couple of objects on the screen, and um, Bob said, trust me, they look better when they're spinning. (laughs) And um, the next day, Bob posted yet another screenshot. It looks like it has the octahedrons, pardon me, octahedra, and a cube on the screen. And so the way that Bob did the graphics, he says in this post, is that he took screenshots of the arcade versions, and he extracted the cubes and the diamonds and he used some kind of graphics program. He didn't say which one and he shrunk the resolution down to 10 by 16 pixels because apparently that's the size of the asteroids that were used in the Atari 7800 asteroids. At this point, it's still very early in the process for Bob and he basically warned people about it. He said, this is a little bit early. You guys have to be patient with me. And one of the reasons that he didn't get further than where he was at that point is because he was working on another project. What was the other project? Well, the other project that Bob was working on was housing a PC in an Atari 2606 switch. So (laughs) that's what we have to say about that. And uh, people didn't mind. They were like, you know what? Do what you got to do. We will wait patiently. On July 29th, Bob posted screen caps that contained each of the seven different objects. And I do have to say they're looking pretty sweet. Those are really cool screen caps. So basically he said he was limited to three colors and four palettes. And so he had to basically do whatever he could to optimize what he was working on. On August 1st, 2007, he posted a couple more screen caps, including the intro menu, which looks really, really, really cool. I mean, seriously, as much as I don't really care for vector graphics on a raster console, such as the 7800, the vector looking graphics with all the colors really looked super amazing on that title screen and still look amazing on the actual final product. The first work in progress was posted the next day, August 2nd, with a disclaimer that there are a lot of things that aren't finished, but he just wanted to share what he had so far so people could see the objects in action, as he said, and he recommended trying the game in advanced mode. And unfortunately, he warned that there was going to be a little bit of slowdown in the progress because sadly his girlfriend had gone to the hospital. August 5th, after thanking people for the good wishes for the girlfriend, He said that she was doing better, and he posted another work in progress. And that work in progress included the space mines, 
and apparently he was having trouble finding a way to make them change their colors as they are shot, and he figured that out for this work in progress that was posted. Also, he made it so that when the saucer or fighter ship explodes, the explosion actually moves with the ship's or UFO's original inertia, like the arcade version does. You might remember from the previous asteroids, that didn't happen. If you exploded, you stayed in one place. And he also made the sounds match the arcade version a little bit closer than before. And at this point, he still had to add bonus screens, stars, fuzzballs, and dual UFOs. There's one more thing he wanted to add, and I'm going to read this word for word just so you get an idea here. Implement tethered connected ship gameplay, replacing cooperative mode. This one is going to be a nightmare, so I'm leaving it for last. There will not be a single player tethered ship option. Did anyone actually play that version and like it? <laughs> um, I, kind of interrupting the flow of things here. I'm going to chime in and say, I believe Jimmy G, my Pie Factory podcast co-host, said that he preferred playing tethered mode single player. Um, I might be wrong about that, but at the very least, I got in my sneaky little plug of my other podcast. And there were a couple of people who responded and said, yeah, I kind of do like the single player tethered mode. So Bob said he'll do what he can. On August 10th, Mark Oberhäuser posted pictures of his box design for Space Duel, and he said he based it on Atari Boy 2600's label. I believe that's John Calcano, if I'm not mistaken. At this point, though, it seemed that Space Duel wasn't properly working in PAL consoles, only NTSC consoles, much to Bob's dismay. Apparently, what was happening with the PAL version is that you could play for a few minutes, but it played a little bit fast, and it would eventually crash. So that was the problem there. But on August 26th, he posted that his girlfriend was home from the hospital, which is, of course, the important thing, and she was doing better. And he posted a new work in progress, and this time... It featured a bonus round, and as with the arcade version, it started the players in random positions. There was an artificial intelligence tweak on the space mines and fuzzballs, and he corrected the way that the scoring happens. Still on the to-do list were the dual UFOs exchanging fire and the tethered fighter ships. And... Bob had said that he was talking to Owen Rubin, who you might remember I mentioned earlier, who worked on the arcade version, and Owen offered some help with the tethered ships option. So this looks pretty exciting at this point. September 3rd, 2007, Bob posted, you got it, another version of the Space Duel work in progress, now featuring the back and forth UFOs that were previously mentioned. And he says, and I quote, from very rare in the first level to most of the time when you reach level 30 or so. He also increased the frequency of the saucers coming out. And at this point, Bob said the only thing he had left was the tethered ships. Bob posted a new revision later that morning because he had found two bugs involving the two saucers that fired back and forth as a team. On September 12th, though, Bob said he didn't think he'd be able to do the tethered ships mode. He'd been trying really hard, but it just was not working due to various nuances that were happening with the code. And on September 24th, he confirmed that he will not be adding the tethered ships to Space Duel. He said basically it's because in later rounds... 
because the screen has so much going on, the tethered ships mode would just slow things down, at least until some of the objects disappeared off the screen, and he rather wouldn't have that problem. But he did say pretty much everything else from the arcade game was there, and that later that night he would be posting the release candidate. But he found an issue in which sometimes you would not be advanced to the next wave after destroying all the objects on the screen, and he thought that it was because of the star that came out on the screen. But three days later, September 25th, he fixed that bug and posted a new version of the release candidate. And not terribly surprising, a lot of people were understanding and supportive of Bob's decision not to use tethered mode. And they told Bob, you know, don't worry about it, it's okay. And he said, well, I felt bad because I know a lot of people were looking forward to it. October 4th, 2007, Bob posted a PAL version of Space Duel and then a revised version of it on October 8th. There was some kind of a display issue with the PAL version, so Bob fixed it, at least he thought he fixed it, and posted a new version on October 11th. And then there was another version on October 14th to fix what he called the invisible shot bug. And on December 18th, in response to a question, will Space Duel and Asteroids Deluxe be released on cart? Bob posted a link to the Atari Age store with a smiley face. I guess that was supposed to be a hint. And of course, I will also post a link to the Atari Age store selling Space Duel in the show notes. Now that I talked about the development of the 7800 version of Space Duel, I'd like to discuss the scoring in Space Duel. Um, First off, the different objects, the seven different objects. This is going to be kind of weird. The explanation is a little bit tricky, so just try to follow me. The base score of the objects that you destroy are 20 points for large, 50 points for medium, and 100 points for small. In addition to that, you get 10 times whatever the level number is. So that means that on the first level, the big objects are 30 points, medium are 60, and small ones are 110. And that base scoring kind of works for everything else. For example, fuzzballs and five-pointed stars, the base score is 200 points each. On the first level, you get 210 points. On the second level, you get 220 points, etc. Space mines are 100 base points, and the saucers are 300 base points. The additional points, that is level times 10, maxes out on level 9, which means levels 9 and above. You get 110 points for the large objects, 140 points for the medium objects, and 190 points for the small objects. You get a bonus life every 10,000 points. Also, Space Duel on the 7800 is compatible with high-score devices such as the still-in-production XM, the expansion module. Those little, uh, do you remember those little, like, it was like a white, um, tiny little motherboard with a little plastic covering on it that you'd stick in this Player 2 control port? Yeah, I had one of those for a while. It'll work with that. It'll work with the Atari Vox. And uh, so basically, yeah, you have a high-score device. It will work with that. And speaking of scores, we should acknowledge some high scores on the Atari 7800 Space Duel. And surprise, surprise, the highest ones I could find were from Wilson Oyama. Novice mode, he scored 61,990. Intermediate mode, 89,030. 
Advanced Mode 32,260, and Expert Mode 38,230. Having said that, though, Twin Galaxies is kind of the official scorekeeper for all things video games, which means that the official world record on the 7800 Space Duel, at least in one-player intermediate mode, is a whopping, jaw-dropping, 16,260 verified May 15th, 2016. Um, and the name of that, oh, this guy's a real jerk. It says here the person holding that record is uh, Sean Courtney. And uh, there's also a two player mode that doesn't have any scores on it at all. Uh, oh, and also, I believe Jimmy G and I did a world record attempt at Video Game Summit last summer, and we still haven't submitted the video for that for verification. So it looks like I have something I need to do soon. As usual, I asked for feedback on this episode's game, which of course would be Space Duel. Didn't actually get a lot of response. I was kind of surprised. So this is going to be a very short segment, but I actually finally remembered to post about this on Facebook. And I heard from Bobby Adad Moore, Bobby, longtime friend and listener of both this and Pie Factory podcast. And Bobby says, love it, but it's kicking my arse. A-R-S-E. I, I love Britishisms. I really, really do. <laughs> Just been playing it in a dark room on a CRT, and it's lovely. I don't remember ever seeing the original in arcades, but YouTube footage, suge but YouTube footage suggests this version is very faithful to it. If you stop paying attention for a while, you can almost fool yourself into thinking you were playing on a color vector monitor, especially if your glasses are as filthy as mine currently are. Thanks, Bobby. I mentioned this before, I gotta say it again. After playing Asteroids and Asteroids Deluxe for a while, seeing Space Duel is like, ooh, color vector graphics. One thing is, I think it's just my TV, judging from uh, YouTube videos and stuff, but... It looked kind of dim. It looks kind of dim on my on my TV. I use a it's a fair it's a modern TV. It's a Samsung a widescreen because that's what I have. I don't I don't care to use a CRT TV. I know a lot of people are agog about the old fashioned tube kind of TVs, but to me, I I really don't care. I don't if I'm playing a home console. I don't care what I use it on. If I'm in the arcade, however, I do want the monitor to be a CRT monitor if that's what the original game had. Like, there's one place I go where the Junior Pac-Man, for example, is not the original monitor, and it's obviously a, an LCD monitor, and it's something about that. It just doesn't look the same. Like, the I don't know. I just really, for, for some reason at home, though, it doesn't matter one way or the other to me. And you, truth be told, Bobby, I don't remember seeing Space Duel in the arcades myself. I really don't. That's why when I first bought Space Duel for the 7800, it was a title I was unfamiliar with. And yeah, I know the game was on the cover of the album by The Who, but I, for, for the longest time, until probably I was maybe a teenager, I didn't really listen to The Who at all. And even then, I love The Who. I'm a big fan. In fact, I'm going to see... Uh, Pete and Roger in Vegas this summer, and I'm really super freaking excited about that. But I never paid attention to the post-Keith Moon albums, because I, I, I can't listen to Kenny Jones on drums for The Who. I'm sorry. I just can't. 
Zach Starkey, yes. He, he's he got it. He's got the Keith thing going. Of course, it doesn't hurt that his drumming tutor was Keith Moon. So <laughs> anyway, get back on topic. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, it absolutely is. I have since played Space Duel in the arcades. Two arcades that I frequent, um, Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade. They both have it. And I've played it there at both places several times yet. Bob really did a good job of being faithful to the arcade, despite not having tethered mode. And I totally understand why he couldn't do it. Personally, I would rather sacrifice a feature than have unwanted slowdown. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Joey Cat commented, um, uh, he says, I see a trend where people are programming jewels on these old consoles. And he sent a link to um, a YouTube video of the 7800 Space Duel. And uh, there are many of many of those on uh, YouTube. Uh, type Space Duel 7800. You'll see several of them, actually. Um, I'm not quite sure what Joey Cat was trying to... What his point was going to be with that, that one post. I mean, yeah, there's a trend. I mean, it happens on all the consoles. It has been happening on all the consoles for years. It... Uh, People are doing that. Um, I didn't want to say that on Facebook because if you type that on a computer, it doesn't, it, it could come across as rude and I totally don't want to be rude, <laughs> but, uh, joy cat. If you're, li- if you're uh, still listening to this, thank you so much for sending that over and, um, going over to Atari age. Save 2600 says space duel is great. Even without the coveted tethered mode. We had the arcade game at home a few different times throughout the 80s and thought it was a great Asteroids variant of sorts. Super cool and impressive it was in full color too. The 7800 translation is as good as one can expect. Plenty of classic shoot 'em up action to keep you coming back for more and more. And uh, thank you Save2600. I really agree with that sentence. And the thing is, I was never a huge fan of Space Duel when I actually finally found it and started playing it. But when I prepped for this episode, when I was playing Space Duel, I really, really got a huge appreciation for Space Duel as a game, and I, I really love it now. Still prefer Asteroids Deluxe over the big three, even at, well, four, if, if you include Blasteroids. Now, that'd be interesting to see if somebody could do Blasteroids for the 7800. The only thing is the arcade Blasteroids uses a... Uh, what do you call those things? They're not really a rotary controller or some kind. I don't, I don't want to call it a paddle controller, but it's like that. But how would you implement that on the 7800? You'd have to use the old-fashioned rotate left, rotate right joystick movements because the only other thing I could see working is if you use an Atari driving controller, but then you would need more buttons so you'd almost have to use two different controllers of some sort. So that'd be uh, an interest, interesting, uh, if not impossible, undertaking. Probably not impossible. Anytime someone says something is impossible in the 7800, somebody turns around and does it. And uh, that's what I love. One of the many things, actually, that I love about this console. So that actually does it for Space Duel feedback. Uh, thank you, everybody, for contributing. <laughs> And um, once again, that ends this episode of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. My final thoughts, well, Space Duel, you know, the funny thing is when I ordered Space Duel from uh, the Atari Age store, however many years ago it was, it shows you how ignorant I am. 
I had never heard of Space Duel, <laughs> and I wasn't sure quite what it was. And when I got it, I turned it out, I was like, oh, it's basically asteroids. <laughs> but of course, I learned since then, in the many years since, that it's uh, much more than just asteroids. I really do like what Bob did with it. It's all right, especially for playing Space Duel after I played Asteroids Deluxe for a while for both the previous episode and for the Atari Age High Score Club. It was so nice to see colors. <laughs> Uh, we have a vector game with colors now on the 7800, so that was that was great. Of course, the big, big, big disappointment is the lack of the tethered mode from the arcade version. And Bob did recently say that he kind of regrets not putting the tethered mode in the game. I wonder if that means he'll put out a new version. Hmm. <laughs> oh, well, I don't want to get people's hopes up. But I just want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, I really do appreciate it. I appreciate the support that I've gotten. And uh, you can reach me at homebrew78 at fab4, that's the number 4, it.com. And the show notes are located at homebrew78.fab4it.com. Twitter handle is homebrew78. YouTube channel is homebrew7800. And I would like to thank especially those who have supported this podcast financially. Thank you to Ed Lannan Controllers, Jimmy G, Gray Defender, Richard Valdez, and welcome to Richard Grounds. Thank you so much for your support, Richard. Thank all of you. If you would like to join these wonderful Patreon contributors, you are absolutely welcome to do that. You could go to the web, www.patreon.com slash homebrew78, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And those of you unfamiliar with it, uh, I haven't really described it in a while, so I will give a short description of it. It's a way in which you can support podcasters. It's, basically, it's kind of like a GoFundMe kind of thing. Instead of like a goal, what you do is you just give a certain amount of money every month and you set the amount could be as little as a dollar could be as many as well. I don't think they have an upper limit to how much you can contribute, uh, but if you do wish to contribute, any amount would help. If you do not wish to contribute, then hey, listen to the podcast and hopefully enjoy it. You know, that's all I can say. And also I do encourage people to review this podcast. I don't know how to do it on anything but iTunes, though. But however you listen to this podcast, please take a few seconds, write a review, share your honest thoughts. And um, that's all I have to say for this particular episode. The next episode, I plan to cover another game in which the arcade version has the player one controls on the right side instead of the left side, and uh, it's another vector game, it's another Bob DiCrescenzo game, and it is called Ripoff. So there are feedback threads on Atari Age, Atari.io, and Facebook as well. So thank you again for listening, and uh, I will talk to you again next time. And please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve. Bye-bye. So thank you again for listening and uh, I will talk to you again next time. And please don't forget. And please, um, shoot. What do I always say?